Anyway, good morning, Forefront. Uh, we are thrilled to be here. My wife, Jan, stand up. No? We're excited to be with you, whether you're watching online or uh, here in the studio audience. Uh, we are so glad to be with you. I know Pastor Drew and, and Courtney are watching online to make sure that I behave myself. So they are with family today, cheering on their beloved Kansas City Chiefs, who no doubt will win their second Super Bowl in a row, and, and, and that will bring great joy and merriment to their family. And that's a good thing. I hope you take really good care of Drew and Courtney, because they are a special ministry family, and you're lucky to have them, and, and I'm just so glad that God provided them uh, to, to pr provide leadership here. We love them. We love you guys. You probably maybe know this, that you're a part of a larger group of churches called Converge Rocky Mountain, and uh, together we join together, we converge together to accomplish God's purposes, both here in the Rocky Mountain West and literally around the world. Um, uh, we have uh, seen, even during this COVID season, that God has been at work. As our churches have gotten creative with drive-in church and, and church in the park and online services, people literally around the world are putting their faith in Christ through the, the services that are being broadcast uh, through our uh, faith congregation. So I just learned two weeks ago that uh, we took a mission trip to the Philippines last February, right before COVID hit. And one of the Filipino pastors told me that as a direct result of that mission trip, two new churches were planted on the island of Bohol in the Philippines. So that's very exciting stuff. In 2022, we're going to plan on taking two more mission trips up to Estonia and Sweden. Estonia is right up on the Russian border. And if you're interested in, in uh, coming to the Nordic Baltic with us, that would be great. We're also going to take another team down to the Philippines and just continue to minister mostly on the outer islands, in the unreached uh, tribes and the people groups down there. So if you want to be involved in something like that, let me know. So we're reaching out around the globe. We're also reaching out across the street. Our churches have just kind of activated. They're doing food drives and they're, they're caring for senior citizens and they're um, just doing all kinds of different things to support our, front, our first uh, responders and different things like that. So even though the world has been crazy this past year, it's like our churches have just been activated to really get out beyond the walls of their buildings and to get out into the community and to make a difference. So I'm excited to see what God is going to do as we get used to our new normal uh, in, in 2021. And I also want to invite you to a, a big leadership conference that we're going to be having. It is uh, our Together to Transform gathering on March 13th. Um, the, the timely theme is resilience, and our main speaker is a, a powerful communicator named Todd Bolzinger. He's going to be talking about how God uses seasons of difficulty to really refine our faith and to strengthen us as his people. We're going to have seven specific training breakouts for parents of young children. A lot of parents are going, you know, now that we can't bring them to church on Sundays, we they don't know how to raise our kids up with spiritual education and spiritual formation in our homes. So we're going to do a, a training on that. We have one for youth leaders and worship leaders and pastors and those that are working with the online uh, parts of their church, outreach leaders, pastors' wives. So all kinds of training is going to take place. The best thing is it's all free and it's all online. So you can attend the whole conference in your pajamas if you want to. I plan to, but I'm going to be emceeing, so that might not be... That might not be good. March 13th, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Online registration starts tomorrow, and so you'll be getting a link for that. But we would love to have you join us as we learn and grow together. Now, as I understand it, you just started a new series called Choices, 
that's based on the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. There on that hillside by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus introduces the audience to a whole new way of life, a kingdom way of life. He presents the reality that if they are to put their faith in him as their Lord and Savior, they would literally enter into the family of God and all of a sudden, immediately, a bunch of kingdom resources would be made available to them. But Jesus says, folks, you need to adopt a new approach to life if you're going to fully realize all that you have gained as a child of God. Through the power of my spirit, you need to let go of those old worldly patterns and behaviors that you used to have to use to cope with life when you weren't a child of God. And you've got to adopt his new way of living because you can change. Things can be different. It can be so much better. If we choose to live that life, uh, we will really start to live as a child of the king. In essence, we need to download and activate a new kingdom operating system in our lives. And the great news is, if you live God's way, a lot of this junk that you have to deal with in this world will be lifted, and you'll find an exciting, abundant life waiting for you, both here on earth and also forever in heaven. Last week, you looked at the fact that Jesus says, it's not good to live in the judgment seat on anybody and to sit around judging them. You've got to pick a better way. And this morning, Jesus highlights perhaps the most powerful and personal kingdom resource a believer can enjoy, and that is prayer. But let's pray before we start to look at this great topic. Lord, we just come before you today. Heavenly Father, you are the teacher of all truth, and we want to listen. We want to hear. We want to hang on your every word to us. So help us to focus on you. Lord, help me to get out of the way so that you can be front and center. Take my words and just interpret them for everybody that's in this room. Help us grow. Help us to be different after we leave this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In my younger days, I used to go on a lot of cross-country bicycle trips with teams of people. I have ridden all the way across Wisconsin. I've ridden all the way across Ohio. I tried to pick the flat states. It's just easier that way. But one particular day, one particular hill is etched in my memory. We had gone about 100 miles already in 95 degree heat. Late in the day, our group came, uh, and we came around a, a corner. And there in front of us was the biggest hill I've ever seen in my life. Somebody transplanted Pikes Peak and put it in the middle of Wisconsin. It just wasn't fair. I mean, immediately you could hear everybody's gears clanking as we prepared for battle. You see, the the trick is to hit big hills hard with a lot of momentum, and then as you're pedaling up the hill, you downshift to just keep your pace up and to keep moving forward. So off we went, eighth gear down to seventh to sixth. My legs were churning furiously down, down to fifth gear and fourth gear and third gear. My bike slowed down. I had to kind of stand up on the pedals and just exert as much pressure as I could. Every muscle in my body was just, was just working, strained to the limit. I downshifted to second gear, then to first gear. I took a quick glance up the hill and realized I was only about a third of the way up the hill. And I had so much left to go. <sighs> but I was out of gears. I only had one other option. I shifted into prayer. Inside, I cried out, please, God, just get me to the top of this hill. With every push of the pedal, a prayer went up. Please, God, give me strength. Lord, help me not to have a heart attack. Lord, please send an Uber. Prayer after prayer. 
until I finally hit the summit. God answered my desperate cries for help, and I was going to be okay. But just think about my experience for a minute. I went through every gear. I exhausted every human option. I wore myself out, and then I prayed. Prayer was the last thing I turned to. It was my last resort. And I wonder how many times my experience pretty much mirrors the, 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 the priority of prayer in the lives of, of some believers and even churches. I mean, so often as we navigate the challenges of life, prayer seems to be the last item on our to-do list. One study, a recent study, noted that on average, Christians pray at about the same rate as non-Christians. Crazy. I would guess there's a lot of reasons why people don't pray. A busy schedule, a busy mind don't really leave room for prayer. I mean, sometimes it's just pride, self-sufficiency. I don't need help from anybody, not even God, so just stay out of the way and let me do it myself. But I think many times we don't pray because we don't really understand what prayer is all about. I mean, some see prayer as a punctuation mark to start and end a church meeting. Prayer may be a quick blessing before you eat, except for Uncle Frank who goes on and on and the food gets cold and so nobody ever asks Uncle Frank to do a blessing. Some view prayer as this divine vending machine where you tell God what you want, you push a button and wait for your request to be promptly delivered right into your lap. I was at an airport last Sunday. I was trying to get a soda and one of those machines with the bottles and the machine goes up so I put my money in and I pressed my buttons. Nothing happened. You know, you just press the button again thinking that's going to make a difference, but the thing didn't move. I got no soda. I felt betrayed. I couldn't hit the machine, but I did feel bad. And I'm guessing that vending machine prayers, when they don't get immediate answers, they quickly conclude that prayer just doesn't work and immediately go to other options to get their needs met. Some see prayer as a spiritual discipline. And it is a discipline, but who likes discipline? So why do we pray? Some people think you have to pray for three hours with your hands folded and your eyes closed, which I think we put in so the kindergartners didn't hit themselves while you were praying in Sunday school. It's not really a biblical thing, but, you know, but, but if I close my eyes and, and fold my hands and pray for three hours, in about 30 seconds, my mind has wandered off to something else. So prayer just isn't for me. Other people can do it, but I can't. Lots of misconceptions about prayer, which lead a lot of Christians to, to choose to navigate life without prayer. But just like on my trip up the hill, a prayerless life is an exhausting life. It is a fear-filled life. It is a, a lonely life. A kind of life that, 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 that God never intended for his children to endure. So in our passage this morning, Jesus calls us to make a better choice. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, you can turn there on your device or in your Bible if you'd want to, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus reaches out to every weary traveler and he says, folks, it's time to pray. This morning, I want to look at, at three reasons why it's a wise choice to make prayer a priority in your life, to weave it into every facet of all that you do. Here's the first reason to choose prayer. It's an unbelievable invitation. It really is an unbelievable invitation that we should just prize and, and, and be overwhelmed with. Look at verse 7. Uh, Jesus says, as a member of God's family, when you are pursuing the things of God's kingdom that we've been talking about, ask 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Can you believe what's happening here? Jesus is saying that every believer with your new standing in God's family, you are invited, even encouraged, to come into the very presence of Almighty God and share all of your life with him. Your struggles, your questions, your worries, bring it all to him. And there's no need for an appointment. The, the Greek here literally means keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Make prayer an ongoing conversation with the Lord every moment of every day. And I'm guessing that crowd on the hillside, they were just blown away with this radical thinking. You see, for generations, priests had pounded the traditions of the old covenant into their minds. They had heard over and over again, Yahweh was unapproachable. Ordinary folks always needed a go-between, a local priest who would handle their confession and their penance and their animal sacrifices. And even the local priest couldn't come into the the presence of God. Only the high priest was able to, to go behind the curtain and enter into the Holy of Holies. And that was only once a year. And that was only for a short period of time. And they were so scared that they tied a rope on the high priest's ankle. So in case he died in the presence of God, they could haul him out without getting too close to God. God was inaccessible to the common person. But now here on the hillside, God is teaching that under the new covenant, things have changed. Because of God's redemptive work on our behalf, anyone in God's family now has full and free access to him. You remember when he sacrificed his life on the cross that that the curtain in the Holy of Holies was ripped top to bottom. It was God who ripped it, not people bottom up. It was God top to bottom. It was ripped open. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. You see, that's what Jesus is referring to in our passage this morning. Once you enter into God's family, he is accessible to you 24-7. Why would you ever want to pass up on an invitation like that to come in and to be with God? Ask and seek and knock. They're all referring to, to prayer, but perhaps different kinds of godly interaction, maybe at different intensity levels. Ask is is probably basic conversation with God about everyday matters. It's like when my grandkids will come up and say, Papa, can I sit in your lap? Well, of course you can. Up they come. Lord, today I have a meeting that I'm a little worried about. Would you just give me the words to say at the meeting? Lord, thanks for this beautiful day. I can't believe how you've blessed me with it. Lord, would you give me safety as I travel up to Golden? Just everyday communication. Keep on asking. Seek may refer refer to a kind of prayer action where God wants you to to make some kind of a discovery. Maybe about your request, maybe about you, maybe about him. Usually takes a little bit longer to, to uncover the answer, but God utilizes the search process to help us grow. I mean, sometimes I can hear my grandkids in a different part of the house. And they'll say, Grandma Nellie, where's Papa? Well, go find him. 
And so they seriously scour the house, looking in every room. Papa, Papa. You know, finally they come in, and there I am. Papa! A great joy erupts, most of the time. Most of the time. I, I am the favorite, so I'm just, I'm just saying. Ever had those aha moments with God? Where you really have been seeking, you've been searching, and all of a sudden his will, his, his desire for you becomes clear? That's a good day, isn't it? Ah, an answer. Finally, Jesus says, knock. And this is perhaps referring to those times when, when there is kind of a, a stepped-up boldness and urgency in our prayers. I mean, sometimes I'll be in a room with the door closed, and, 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 the, and my grandkids will track me down. And they'll know I'm in there, they just can't see me because the door's in the way. But they have faith. And so then the knocking starts. Papa. 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 Paul. And I open the door. Will you tie my shoe? Yes. You know, it wasn't real urgent, but to them it was urgent. And there will be times when we need to urgently interact with God, won't there? Our situation, the the hill in front of us, the the crisis uh, around us, it kind of impedes our view. And so we knock, seeking to see God, seeking to fully understand his will for us in that difficult moment. I'm guessing Jesus did a lot of knocking in the Garden of Gethsemane as he wrestled with his dad over his crucifixion that was looming. Maybe you've knocked over a health issue, over a wayward child, over an unexpected job loss. I would guess we've all been knocking a lot this past year. The pandemic, the racial and and political unrest, just trying to make sense of it all. God, we really need you. Jesus says, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Don't give up. You are invited even encouraged to be in constant conversation with your heavenly father. The door is open. Come into the throne room. You see, the thing is, he will answer. That's the second reason to choose prayer. God really wants to take care of us. He answers our prayers. Look at the promise in verse 8. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says, know this, believers, your asking and seeking and knocking is never in vain. It may feel like your your prayers are hitting the ceiling. It may feel like you're running into a brick wall. But the truth is, the reality is, you do have a God who loves you and is listening to you and is moving to answer your prayers in the best way possible. Jesus takes his imagery a little bit deeper in verse 9 when he pictures our God as a loving dad who is crazy about his kids. And I understand that some of you, your earthly dad was not loving and it was not a good experience. But Jesus points us to the perfect heavenly father, a perfect father who really does love you with a love that, that is beyond your abilities to understand. He's crazy about you. And Jesus says to the crowd, think about this logically. Doesn't this just make sense? Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to all who ask him? 
Now, last week, Pastor Drew told you that Jesus had a sense of humor, and he really does. And the inside joke here was that bread in those days did resemble a rock. It had a very hard outer crust on it to, to kind of preserve it, to keep insects from getting into the, the bread. And it did, the shape of it did look like a rock. You'd see it by the Dead Sea or uh, by the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so it would have been very easy to pull off a practical joke. But Jesus says, what parent would do that to their kid? Maybe to your buddy at work, you know, here's some bread, you know, you know but not to your child. I mean, that, that would just be cruel. The same with a fish and a snake. Often when they would pull in a net full of fish, there were poisonous eels that were kind of wrapped in with the fish and they had to be weeded out. But Jesus says no parent, any parent, would ever give a, a poisonous eel when, when their child had asked for a fish. So Jesus concludes, if less than perfect earthly parents just have a natural desire to love and nurture and provide good things for their children, doesn't it just make sense that a perfect and holy and loving God would want to really take care of you? I mean, sometimes God does give you exactly what you ask for, exactly when you ask for it. Other times he won't give you what you ask for. He'll give you something better. Maybe at a better time. Maybe in a better way. I often tell people when God doesn't answer your prayer exactly like you wanted, don't see it as a rejection. See it as a redirection. He closed one door to guide you into something that will be better for your life. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, confidently believing that your Heavenly Father is listening and will respond to you. Not always with what we want, but always with what is good and what is best for us. Sometimes we can't see it, but he can. He knows the big picture, and he'll respond accordingly. That's Jesus' kingdom promise to us. You can bank on it. Which leads to the third reason to choose prayer. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. At its core, prayer isn't so much about asking for things as it is about moving into a deeper, more developed, more dynamic relationship with our Heavenly Father. I think Jesus is being very intentional here when he uses the phrase, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. I mean, he could have picked a number of titles with which to address God. But what does he tell his disciples? When you pray, say, our Father, who's in heaven. I heard one pastor say, I'm not really sure why we pray. The Bible says God knows our requests before we uh, even pray them. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. So, so why pray? Because prayer isn't about asking. It's about relationship building. And nothing can draw us into the presence of God and keep us there better than a healthy prayer life. He wants to be with you. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, believers. Don't be over here just worried and worried and worried, disconnected from your Heavenly Father. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, because you know you have a loving God who loves you and will give you good things with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then the peace of God, God responds in relationship, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your, your, your hearts, how you feel, and your minds, how you think in Christ Jesus. 
Again, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. It's not folding your hands and, and closing your eyes and praying. It, it's a continual dialogue with God. Whatever you're doing that day, just bring him along. Stay connected to the vine. That's why Jesus was always getting away from the crowds just to be with his dad for a while. He was powering up in prayer. I mean, it's so much more than a blessing or a checklist of requests or putting the period at the end of a meeting. Prayer is about building a deeper, richer, life-giving, life-changing relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you see, when we're in that relationship, when we're praying, God has an opportunity to remind us that he's with us, that he's big, that he is just, that he's holy, that his truth and his wisdom are the best for us. Prayer constantly reminds believers that we never have to climb any hill alone. Let me give you a practical example of this from the life of Jan and I. Over a period of six or seven years, we were forced to navigate a, a huge challenge. Jan was a, a manager of a radiology department at a very big area hospital. She had won the president's award for excellent service. She was flying sky high. Then one of the hospital attorneys did something illegal and Jan caught him. To silence her, he trumped up 26 false charges against her and had her forced out. She was forced to resign, but she would have been fired if she hadn't resigned. And then he put on a stamp, you'll never be eligible for rehire. You will never work at this hospital again. I still remember the day that my wife collapsed in a heap by my bookcase in my office. Falsely accused, treated unjustly, forced out. Her whole world was collapsing around her. I was mad. I was ready to punch that attorney. We were in shock. I mean, it came out of nowhere. And then a light bulb went on. Maybe we should pray about this. I'm a pastor. I should have thought of that earlier, but I was still shifting my gears. So we prayed. We took the first steps in a prayer adventure that, that still lasts to this day. Early on as we prayed, it looked like we had an instant uh, answer. There was a hospital uh, up in uh, Westminster. They needed a, a, job, a person just like Jan for this job they had. We just praised the Lord, this is going to be great. They never called back. The door closed. We were crushed. God, what, what, what's going on? I'll take care of you. Today, we, every time we drive by that hospital on, I think it's 144th Street and I-25, we are so grateful that God didn't answer that prayer. It would have been an hour and a half commute for Jan every day. I mean, that would have been crazy. But we climbed on. Every night, we got into a pattern of, of reading a psalm and then extended time in prayer. We would both pray out loud, and then we said, let's just take some time to listen to God. And so we would sit in silence and just say, Lord, speak to us. And sometimes we didn't hear anything, but other times we heard very encouraging things. Jan would often see pictures. And on a really bad night, uh, she said, you know, I saw Jesus. And I was a little girl. And Jesus, he picked me up and he put me on his shoulders. And Jesus was dancing. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be okay. Meanwhile, I was over praying that God would rain fire and brimstone down on the hospital and destroy it. And we actually do have a picture of a tornado that almost hit the hospital. I was going, yes. I'm praying for that. Jan is dancing. So we kept climbing the hill. And I would like to say that we were always in tight relationship with God during this prayer adventure, but we weren't. We pulled away. 
There were times I'd catch myself all worried and trying to figure it out, trying to find an attorney that would really, you know, vindicate Jan and we're going to get back at them and we're going to crush them and all, you know. But then God would gently say, hey, 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 come back to me. Trust me. Let me fight this battle for you. You'll be okay. In fact, you'll be surprised and amazed. We started to hear that phrase a lot. You'll be surprised and amazed. Even when it was bad, when it was dark, You'll be surprised and amazed. Well, months passed, and Jan was aggressively seeking another job. Incredibly gifted health administrator that nobody wanted. 29 applications, 29 rejections. At about rejection 16, I stopped saying, you know, it's not really about rejection. It's more redirection. And and that might have been true. It just wasn't helpful at that time. But we kept praying. We'd actually drive to potential hospitals in the middle of the night and pray in the parking lot, didn't we? Just asking God for wisdom. We kept climbing and praying. Application 30 went out. An entry-level supervisor role at a cancer clinic. Not even close to Jan's area of expertise. She really applied for the job only to keep up her quota for unemployment. But to her amazement, the door opened and they offered her a job. Praise the Lord. I asked Jan, are you surprised and amazed? She said, it's entry level. I mean, no, not really, but I should be. We kept praying. Every night a psalm, more prayer together, and listening, lots of listening. Well, to shorten the story up, the surgeons at that cancer clinic quickly noticed Jan's expertise, and she was promoted to be the manager of that clinic. And in a year, it went from being the least productive clinic in the Denver metro region to, to, uh, they were ranked in the top 3% in the nation by U.S. News and World Report as one of the best clinics in the country. Now are you surprised and amazed? Uh, I suppose so. Everything looked great. Things were rolling along, but our story has one more twist. About a year and a half ago, Jan's doctor said to her, hey, we've been approached by one of the biggest hospitals in the area, and they want us to work for them. And so we're going to move our clinic in with them. And then they told Jan the name of the hospital. Her heart sank. You'll never work here again. Jan told the surgeons her story, and they said, that's crazy. But they still pursued the move. We'll figure it out. So an HR person from that other hospital called Jan and and said, it looks like we've got a problem here. And Jan said, I know, and kind of laid out her story. She said, I wasn't here when you resigned, but, but let me check into your case. Back to knocking. How sad this injustice would be if it knocked her out you know, two times. Please, God, make a way where there seems to be no way. You'll be surprised and amazed. Two weeks later, the HR person called back. Mrs. Minton, I, I checked into your case, and all I can say is that I'm very sorry. That attorney did the same thing to five other female employees. And he was fired several years ago. And I want you to know that we would be honored if you would come back and work for us. And beyond that, that six years of retirement that you lost leaving our hospital, we're going to reinstate all of that. It's going to be as if you never left the hospital. And the best part is, during those six years when Jan was away, the hospital built a new campus 10 minutes from our house. And that's where they chose to house the new clinic. And as Jan moved into her new office on the top floor, 
with her window overlooking the snowy peaks of the Front Range. Back to work at the hospital, she was, never, she was told she'd never work at again. Ten minutes from our house, I put my arm around her and I said, Now, are you surprised and amazed? And she said, We have an amazing God. Six years of lostness, but we were never alone. Six years of asking and seeking and knocking and climbing with our God right beside us, building our faith, teaching us to trust, providing for every need. In, in some ways, it was the most difficult season of our marriage. In other ways, it was the best. Not because Jan got her job back, but because we learned so much about ourselves and about God. You see, that's what prayer is all about. Being with our dad and sharing all of our life with him. Richard Foster, a Christian author, tells the story of a man who took his two-year-old little boy to the shopping mall, and it was a bad day. I mean, he, nothing would stop me. He was just crying and whimpering, and it was just bad. Finally, the father picked him up in his arms, and he held him close, and he just started singing to his son. I mean, it was an impromptu love song. It was off-key, didn't make any sense, but the child quieted down as he listened to his dad sing. I love you. I'm so glad you're my boy. I'm proud of you. You make me happy. He sang to his son as they walked from store to store all the way out into the parking lot. He finally stopped as he was strapping his son into the car seat. And the little boy looked up and said, Daddy, sing it to me again. Sing it to me again. Prayer is like that. God scoops us up in his arms. He holds us and he sings to us and he tells us how much he loves us. And sometimes we sing back to him a worship song or, or maybe a song of confession or maybe just a song that's just brutally honest about how we're doing that day. And the more we experience this relationship with God through prayer, the more we keep saying, again, Daddy, let's do that again and again. I don't want to ever leave your presence. You see, that's life in the kingdom. You and your dad walking together through everything. What hill are you climbing today? It's time to pray. So let's pray.